Paul tells us in the New Testament of the Thessalonian Christians that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. It's what could be said of all Christians, that we have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Now we might laugh and scorn at the idea that we bow down before images of wood and stone. And yet we are surrounded by idols and we've followed them at one time. We can think of an idol really as a counterfeit God. A counterfeit God is something which we place in front of God. Something we make more important than God. A counterfeit God is anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. It becomes the centre of your thinking and therefore everything else in your life is judged according to that category. It drives your decision making and your acting. So family or education or success can all become counterfeit gods. And so we can judge everything according to the standard of family. And so I heard Ruth said this on the archers this week. I don't actually listen to the archers. Well, sometimes. But as Ruth said, she said her children were going to be coming first from now on. The children were going to be what she thinks about first before anything else. You see, we judge everything by the standard of education. Like my friends John and Amy who had to move towns so their child could go to the right school. Or we judge everything by the standard of success or money. And so in in The Apprentice, all Alan Sugar is concerned about is money or success and how well you have done. It's those things which give meaning and purpose. And yet Paul says we have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And so how are we to live our lives if we've turned from idols to serve the living and true God? How are we who've rejected counterfeit gods and turned to the living God, how are we to live? You see, are not family or education or government or beauty or sport... Are not those good things? How are we to be servants of the living God and get those things in the right place? Well, Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 is going to help us to see that tonight. He is somebody who is described in the chapter as a servant of the living God. And the passage helps us to see how we should live. And so we see the chapter starts with a new king in charge in charge of a huge kingdom, a kingdom which required 120 satraps. It was an enormous kingdom that this king had come to be in charge of. Darius, the mighty and powerful king. And then we see in chapter 2 that Daniel has risen the heights of this kingdom. The servant of the living God is an extremely powerful man in this kingdom. Daniel is one of those who's been appointed to look out for the king's interests. And Daniel is an exemplary servant of the king. He distinguishes himself, we see, above all the other administrators, so much that the king wants to put him over everything in the kingdom. Daniel, servant of the living God, serves the king with such distinction the king wants to place him 
above all other rulers in this enormous kingdom. The king's desire, we see here in verse 4, provokes the jealousy of the other administrators and satraps. They might lose their position before the king, and so they look for a way to get rid of Daniel. But all that it does, though, for us is strengthen our view of Daniel and how exemplary he is. See in verse 4? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel is an exemplary servant of the king. I don't think the same could be said of the other administrators in the chapter. But Daniel here is an exemplary servant of the king. But as the chapter goes on, we also see that Daniel is an exemplary servant of his God. Now again, the the corrupt satraps and administrators help us to see the excellence of Daniel. See what they say about Daniel in verse 5? We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now to get rid of Daniel, they need to create a conflict between the law of God and the law of the king. See, Daniel was an exemplary servant of God. Daniel was fulfilling the law of God, which could be summarized from Deuteronomy 6.4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Daniel loved his God. Daniel served his God. And Daniel was an exemplary servant of his God. And so we see in these first few verses that Daniel has a twofold orientation. He is serving the king fully, and yet he is also exceptional in his service of God. Daniel is an exemplary servant. Now just note here, There doesn't need to be any conflict necessarily between our service of God and our service of human masters. We are also called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And Daniel did that. Daniel follows God impeccably and served the king with distinction. Daniel followed the living God. Daniel was servant of the living God and yet he could still become one of the most successful civil servants in this empire. You see, there's nothing necessarily wrong with being part of a political party or a trade union. Nothing wrong with serving your employer with distinction. Nothing wrong with seeking the best profit margins for your company. Nothing wrong with working hard for your family. Nothing wrong with becoming educated. In many ways, those are the things which we should be doing as servants of the living God. As those who love the Lord our God, we should be exemplary servants of our earthly masters. We should invest our energies and our times into the work which God has given us to do in those places. We should be those who are trustworthy. And we should be those who are honest. We should be those who are known as exemplary workers. You see, following the living God doesn't mean that we are revolutionary. Being the servants of the living God doesn't mean that we'll be subversive in our work. 
Being servants of the living God means we will work hard and with distinction. And following God will bring great blessings and benefits to your earthly masters, as Daniel has done in this chapter. But we do need to make sure that we hold lightly to those things and tightly to God. You see, being a servant of the living God will bring us into opposition. Now we see that Daniel 6, Daniel's exemplary service of the king brings him into opposition with his fellow administrators. And so they plan to depose Daniel. And the picture is quite comical. And you see it in verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. So here's a group of 120 men shuffling around. It's like a Monty Python sketch as these people shuffle around. It's comic. And yet it's very sinister because look what they propose as they speak to the king. In verse 7. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They trick the king into making a bad law. It seems as if Darius is very vain, although we don't really know what motivates him. Yet whatever his motives are, Darius is a foolish king at this point. So basically he's agreeing to be a god for 30 days. Everyone is to pray to God Darius. I wonder how good his hearing will be. I wonder how good this temporary god will be. Darius, the temporary god. It's quite ludicrous really, isn't it? How foolish is idolatry? How foolish to think that a god could be legislated into being. But the consequences of not following this God, this temporary God, at that time was the death penalty. The offender to be thrown to the lions. I wonder how you would respond to such a command, to such a law. I think what the amazing thing in this chapter is that Daniel doesn't do anything different. Daniel continues his service of the king. He continues in his devotion to God. He continues to pray three times a day, just as he has always done. He doesn't change. His attitude is that he is going to serve God primarily. The servant of the living God is going to serve God first and foremost. The exemplary servant of the king will serve the living God over anything else. You see, Daniel's fundamental attitude is to follow God, to commit himself to following God. God is going to be the principle by which everything else is judged for Daniel, even life itself. Daniel surely reasons that it would be better to die than to serve this temporary God. He values serving the living God over everything else, even his life. And Daniel is one here who holds lightly to the things of this world and tightly to the living God. But imagine for a, a moment if Daniel was holding tightly to the things of this world. 
if his political career was the most important thing to him, if his political career was the thing which consumed him most, what would he have done in this situation? Would he hold his life lightly in this situation? You see, if God is in second place to your career, would you do what Daniel does here? Now, what if your fundamental, fundamental principle is looking good? Would you do what Daniel does here? And what if it's education? Would you do what Daniel does? You see, if anything is in front of God, that will be, become the thing which you organize your life by. And if that is threatened, well, would you be willing to give those things up? Would you be willing to be demoted, to be seen as ugly, to be seen as uneducated? Would you be willing to die for the living God? You see, it's possible to be an exemplary servant of your earthly masters, but that does not mean that you're going to be an exemplary servant of the living God. If the thing that you serve in this world becomes the ultimate thing, then you're not serving God. You're serving a counterfeit God. You're serving a temporary God. Well, Daniel continues in the the trap is sprung. The administrators and satraps still bustling around as a group. Uh, They see Daniel praying, and so they bumble off to the God they have made and say in verse 13, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. The temporary God is tricked and the trap is sprung. And Darius is distraught at what he has done. You see it in verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The God of this enormous kingdom tries to save a man. King Darius, God for 30 days is unable to save him. He is impotent. God, Darius, is bound by his unjust law. And he is unable to do anything in the face of that law. Now here is truly an impotent God. And so all Darius can do is order the execution of Daniel. Now how foolish this God is. How foolish idolatry is. How foolish to serve anything other than the living God. Long live this temporary God. But you see, Daniel, he's in the lion's den. He's sealed in. His fate is sealed. Uh, He's sealed in so that no one can get him out without being discovered. And so the king spends a sleepless night. And when morning comes, he runs to the lion's den and removes the top and calls out, In verse 20, and that's the key thing which we see in this chapter, I think. He calls out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you? Has your God been able to save you? The living God 
the God who is living and active, has he been able to save you? The living God who is powerful and awesome and mighty, involved in the affairs of this world, has he been able to save you, Daniel? And to confirm that he is indeed the living God. We hear the voice ringing out from the lion's den in verse 21. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel's God, the living God, has saved his servant. He has saved Daniel. Daniel's trust in this living God is vindicated. He's been saved. And all Darius can do at the end of the chapter is to acknowledge that he is not God and there is a God who is truly the living and active God. And you see it in verse 26. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. So we have turned from idols to serve the living God and his kingdom will never pass away. There will be no king which destroys the kingdom of God. As Christians, we are those who have turned from idols to serve this living God. And we do that as we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, the one who is alive and is seated at the right hand of God, the one to whom all authority on heaven and on earth has been given. He is the living God. And together with the Father and the Spirit, he rules this world. And it's in submission to him that we serve our living God. But more than that, we learn from Daniel 6 that this God is living and he's active. You see, as Darius goes on in verse 27, he rescues and saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This living God is a God who works wonders on this earth and who is able to save. And indeed, he does save, he does rescue. And for us, we see that rescue primarily in the work of the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us so that we might find salvation. Jesus saves all those who come to him in repentance and faith. Jesus is the living God who is able to save us. He draws us into his kingdom, a kingdom which will not pass away, a kingdom that cannot pass away. He is the living God. And we are servants of that living God. We are servants of the Lord Jesus. And so as we live our lives as servants of the living God in this world, we can work for the good of our society. We can work for the benefit of the political party we might ascribe to. We can work for the good of our company. We can work for the good of our schools We can work for the good of our families and our homes. But we must hold loosely to those things. Those things are not ultimate. Those things cannot save us. And there will come a time when we will be opposed from those things. 
when they will turn and make us uh, try and cause us to uh, disavow our allegiance to God. When institutions and governments fire um, across the bows of our Christian faith and ask us to compromise, we must not do that. We must serve the living God. You see, make sure that as you follow things, they're the things which can ultimately deliver. The living God who can ultimately save us. Don't follow those things which ultimately cannot deliver just as Darius was impotent to save Daniel. And so as we remember Daniel, we know we serve the living God. The living God. We serve the God who is over all these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world, and we have nothing to fear. You see, there's nothing that temporary gods in our world can do to take away the fact that we serve the living God and that his kingdom will never pass away. So when we're opposed, we need not fear losing stuff or even our lives. Martin Luther wrote these words in a a famous hymn, And though they take our life, goods, honour, child and wife, though we must let all go, they will not profit so. To us remains the kingdom. There's nothing which things in this world can do to take away the kingdom of God from us. There is nothing that can ultimately harm us. We have a God who is living and who saves. And even if we lose our life now, he will save us fully in the life to come. He is the living God, the powerful and active God. The Apostle Paul wrote these words at the end of his public ministry, and he seems to be reflecting um, on Daniel 6. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul, reflecting on this, says that there is nothing which can come against him which will take away the kingdom from him. He was not silenced through fear. And he rejoices that on this occasion he was brought safely through. And he shows his confidence is ultimately in the living God who will bring him safely to heaven. Paul served the living God. Let us make sure that we hold tightly to the living God now and serve him fully. Will you join me in prayer?